All right. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Knowledge. Hey there. Um, with us today is a guest host, uh, kind of new for uh, the Zero Knowledge podcast. Uh, our other guest host, Jack, is off on adventures in South America. So with us today is Andre, and uh, he's a core developer parody. Say hello. Hey. Hi, everyone. And as usual, I'm Frederick. And, and I'm Anna. Today we're going to be doing a sort of this week in parody, but actually we haven't done this in a while, so it might be more of a this month in parody. Um, just giving you a little bit of an update on what we're looking at, what we're thinking about, what we're working on. It might actually be like this uh, month in blockchain in general, because we can talk about uh, things outside of parody, but uh, since we all actually work at parody, that, that seems to be uh, what it tends to become. But um, I've, so this was not like this past week, but um, a problem that's been in uh, Ethereum in general for the past couple of months is it's been really hard to sync nodes. And there's a multitude of issues around that and like why it's been hard. One of the reasons that we found is that the boot node infrastructure was lacking. So uh, Anna, do you, like, do you guys know what boot nodes are and what purpose they serve in the network? I want you to tell yeah. us more. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the Ethereum network is composed of full nodes, as everyone should know. And um, the way that data propagates around this network is usually by a normal distributed hash table of peers, much like, you know, BitTorrent protocol discovers peers and that kind of thing. But... Um, when you start up a node for the first time, you don't really have, like, who do you connect to as your first peer? Like, you have to find that first person. And so uh, there's a thing called a boot node that serves this purpose of uh, being uh, uh, the first thing that you connect to. So when someone starts up their node for the first time, it connects to our boot nodes that are hard-coded into the parity client. And... Um, then they'll try to warp sync from there and try to find other pairs and uh, kind of discover the networks uh, with that as a starting point. The problem was that we had a lot of nodes that were actually offline completely. Some nodes were underpowered and generally the infrastructure was not that good. I actually started up a full node on my own server uh, just as an experiment to see sort of what kind of traffic it got and whatever. So I, I started up, it was a really beefy server. Um, I have a uh, gig, no, I have a gigabit connection or 10 gig connection or something. It's it's really massive connection. Um, I have a bunch of free bandwidth. So I boosted up my um, allowed peers, which um, there's actually in parity, there's two parameters to configure the allowed number of like max peers and, and uh, a number of extra slots to download warp syncs, uh, so warp peers essentially. And uh, I opened up like a thousand warp peers and uh, since I'm currently sending about 600 gigs per day of warp images to people, uh, which is kind of nice. They're two gigs each, I guess. So does that make it about 30 warp syncs per day um, served by my node alone? And so when I started this up, I got into this experiment. I was looking at the performance of the other boot nodes that we have, saw that they were way underperforming what my machine did. So I was like, what's up here? And uh, we started like digging into this in the company and uh, found that 
our boot nodes are just underperforming. I guess we deployed them in a world where the Ethereum network was a lot smaller and we didn't have to think about this stuff. Um, mm. So now we've beefed up the infrastructure <laughs> and things are running a lot more smoothly. Yeah. The thing is that the the problems that the boot nodes were, were having are kind of we're just kind of delaying the problem because I think one of the problems was that they they weren't able to produce snapshots in time um, in sync with the network, right? So by the time they they, they finished creating a, a snapshot, it, it was already outdated. Yeah. It was something like that, right? Yeah. So beefing up the servers works for now, <laughs> but long term. Ethereum gets larger and larger and yeah, uh, yeah long term there has to be some other solution as well and yeah. uh, we're obviously looking towards that. Yeah. Uh, I think like the in the future like clients will play a bigger role uh, so that not everyone actually does need to do a full sync and or a warp sync yeah. um, and becomes a little bit more of a rare case to run a full node but obviously eventually we'll run out of the ability to host all the data on one machine and we'll start to need sharding and other scaling solutions. Yeah. Yeah. But still right now, it's still pretty good. Uh, still, I, I managed like my, I, I think like my laptop last week in like an hour after we fixed the, the boot nodes. Yeah. I mean, the, the, and that's an acceptable, like warp sync used to be a couple of minutes and like it's, it's, it's never going back to that. Uh, I think an hour yeah. is like a good trade-off. Like that's where, you know, it's still acceptable, but unlike a little bit of a bad UX, but acceptable. Mm. Andre, tell us a bit about what you've been working on. Uh, so I've been uh, working on the database mainly. Uh, so on um, on Parity, we use RocksDB. Uh, which is just um, like a key value store, uh, which which was which is what we use to store um, all the data. And we had an issue, uh, which was every once in a while the um, database size would uh, basically double for a small uh, period of time. Um, and this was a problem mainly for archive nodes because the database was like. 500 gigabytes and then for f five or ten minutes it will double to one terabyte people will run out of disk space and it will basically just crash corrupt the database in some cases it was just a, a mess and, and another uh, like side effect of this write amplification is that it requires a lot higher write speeds yeah so yeah. like if you have a 500 gig database and suddenly you need to write another 500 gig as fast as possible it makes uh, life really really hard for especially like old hard drives <laughs> yeah exactly like these the size amplification was a symptom but yeah obviously if you have to write an extra 500 gigabytes it's going to be slower <laughs> yeah um, and so rocksdb has like tons of these knobs that you can tune to you know um, to adapt to your uh, use case and uh, so basically, I uh, benchmarked um, parity in a couple of scenarios that reflect like real world usage and just uh, 
brute force <laughs> tuning those knobs and just graphing a lot of stuff and um, and seeing uh, how it went better, how, how it got better. So we were able to like reduce the size amplification completely. Now you don't see any of those spikes. And like related to what Fredrik was saying, uh, so if we are not writing all that data, in the end, it actually got a bit faster. So, so the, the most important thing was actually the size amplification because it was crashing uh, everyone's yeah. nodes. But if it's still faster, uh, that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> how um, many, when you were brute forcing these uh, tuning parameters, how many parameters were you actually looking at? Like two or three or more? Uh, maybe like... I mean, in the beginning, like 10 or something like oh. that. <laughs> um, I actually, one of, the, one of the, the things is that they, it's not easy to understand how these parameters will interact with one another and how it will affect like your use case in particular. And this is something that even the RocksDB developers acknowledge. It's like, well, we have these rules of thumbs, but you just have to benchmark it and test it. Um, and, you know, that's that's what I ended up doing. I actually ended up writing some scripts so that I could just like write 30 different benchmarks with 30 different settings and let it run overnight. Yeah. <laughs> and then in the morning, I will just plot it, plot everything and see <laughs> what the, the best setting was. <laughs> Did you ever talk to the RocksDB developers or like ask uh, for tips or? No, not really, but they do have a lot of documentation on the on the wiki. Um, I'm curious about like what they think of. Does uh, I think the Go client uses another database, right? Yeah, Use yeah. Level DB or something. Uh, they yeah they use Level DB, which I think has less parameters to tune. Yeah, I wonder. Like we must be like a reasonably large user of theirs. I mean, if you look at like how many parity nodes are running and like yeah. how many RocksDB databases exist because of our use of it, I think we, I don't know, maybe I'm overestimating or underestimating <laughs> their other users, but. Uh, there are some like database products that use RocksDB as a, like a backend, but I don't know if they have more installations than. Uh -huh. I wonder if, they're, uh, if they would be interested in looking at our use case and yeah. opining on how we use it. Because <laughs> it would be interesting to hear of like, if they are, if they go like, oh no, you should totally do this or that. And like, yeah. 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 So my update's not going to be so parity focused. It's actually more of a general uh, this month in blockchain. So the um, Ethereum yellow paper uh, some time ago, Gavin actually released this as a Creative Commons document, and that's a good thing. This week, there's been a lot of conversation about that. There seems to have been an update uh, made to the actual document. What do you guys know about this? I only know that um, there was a debacle at some point about this yellow paper, and I think it was Coindesk that wrote an article slamming Ethereum for not being, you know, decentralized open or whatever. And the spec doesn't even match the implementation and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so after all of this chatter, um, I, mean, I don't know, there, there was some, some stuff thrown around saying that 
it was being kept on some specific license out of maliciousness. But it was just obviously Gav hadn't had time to change the license on it. And so uh, Gav finally changed the license on it to something more sensible like Creative Commons where anyone can contribute. And uh, a couple of weeks later, seems that someone has contributed and the yellow paper now matches the actual spec of Ethereum, which is obviously good. Yeah, I think someone else is now uh, going to maintain it going forward. That's cool. One other thing going on, um, at least this is a local thing here in Berlin, but um, Web3 has been working on putting together this decentralized exchange meetup. Uh, A bunch of really good teams have come from all over the world to do this workshop. It's a two-day workshop. Um, And then I know tomorrow night there's going to be an event at Factory where a lot of the I guess outcomes of these workshops are going to be showcased. And I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Um, This has been the work of Web3s related to parity. Yeah, and I think it's actually a really cool model of doing these kinds of workshops around a topic, bringing together a lot of teams and getting them to start really conversing with each other in in person as well. Potentially there's some really cool ideas to come out of here. I think that's the really cool thing about this is that it's people actually working on this. It's not... You know, an educational workshop is good in, in all its glory of education, but it's still, I don't know, it's not something that I'm personally that interested in. Whereas if it's a group of people all working on the same problem, getting together, sharing solutions, sharing, you know, what lessons learned, that's much more interesting. And um, something that I would hope uh, kind of comes out of one of these things in the future is... Um, uh, for all of these decentralized exchanges to start working towards some common standards or goals mm. so that they can all interoperate. I mean, the, you will always be able to, to intro, interoperate to some degree, but if it can be made easier, uh, I think all the better. Yeah, and I think that could be, I mean, I think it would be really nice to see that across a bunch of topics, not just decentralized exchanges. I think for this sure, kind of model is yeah. very nice. Um, actually, speaking of that, um, in March, so this is sort of the first time we're talking about it publicly, but uh, Zero Knowledge, this podcast, is actually going to be hosting an event called the Zero Knowledge Summit. And um, this is an event that's going to be focused on security, tooling, governance, uh, a lot of these topics. We will have workshops. Um, it'll probably be somewhere between the workshop that we're talking about now and, and a conference. Um, but definitely it's a model, like we're, we're kind of experimenting with new formats of what a panel would look like, how you can actually get conversation going. And I know that our goal is um, to try to get some outcomes, to try to get some consensus between different groups about how, how we approach these problems. Um, obviously, that's a pretty lofty goal. Uh, this may not happen in the first edition, uh, but this is, this is something that we're trying to put together. And I think it's very much in the spirit of this podcast, which is about learning, sharing information, and trying to come up with cool solutions. Ultimately, if you get the right people in the same room, good things will happen. And whether or not we're able to uh, actually structure and, ena- and like enable that to the fullest degree, is, I mean, that's a learning process and we'll see how it goes. But I think uh, sticking to that core principle of just finding interesting people and getting them together to talk is... Uh, yeah. Something that yields good results. Totally. So, guys, do we have anything else we want to talk about? Hmm. I can actually talk about something that I'm um, eager to 
go back to work on, <laughs> which is also related to uh, databases. <laughs> so I'm, I guess I'm kind of like the database guy. But um, so basically we started writing our own database that we will eventually use on Parity. And I've, um, I've worked a bit on this and then my the all the hours that I spent tuning RocksDB <laughs> gave me even more <laughs> appetite for completely replacing it. <laughs> um, so we already have uh, like this uh, working prototype because our use case is that we will be reading a lot more data than we will we will actually be be writing. So we want a database that is like optimized for that use case. And so this is uh, what um, Parity um, DB will provide. So basically, um, uh, it's like a non-disk hash table. Do you, do you know what's an hash table, uh, Anna? I love that I'm the <laughs> you're, I'm I'm your gauge of like what the audience might know. Um, what yeah. a hash table is? Yeah. I actually do have some sense of what a hash table is, but why don't you explain yeah. it for this dear audience anyway? Okay. It's like this uh, data structure, which allows you to associate a key with a, with a value and, and, you know, retrieve that value efficiently, just given the key. And this is usually uh, used for uh, in-memory data structures. I mean, so when all the data is in memory, but we're, we're building something that has the same characteristics, but it's stored on disk. So... The idea is that if you want to retrieve the data for a given account, we will like map directly to a section on the disk instead of like searching around in the disk, uh, because this is um, this is the the uh, use case that we want to optimize. We want to have like this really fast reads and really fast iteration over the database. And one of the cool things is that since the data we're gonna store it's already like ashes so it's already like um, uniform uniformly distributed so um, this allows us to optimize even further our our implementation i think that's what's neat here is i mean you can find a lot of other databases or tune other databases to be you know uh, read heavy or like optimized for reads yeah. but it's not only that we optimize for reads, but we can actually, we have so much domain knowledge of what this data is and what it looks like and how to look up in it that yeah. we can like go down and optimize on that level. Like we know we're looking for an account that is a hash and it's like all the things you're saying. So yeah. um, it it's not, you know, that beneficial to actually take another database and try to try to optimize it only for reads because like we we have that much more knowledge about the data. Frederick, quick question on this. Um, does this have anything to do with the um, database products and projects we were talking about last episode when you were kind of talking about storage versus databases no, or is this it's, totally it's, different? Um, it's totally different. Okay. So this is all on a local disk um, yeah. and um, you have no like decentralized storage, no consensus stuff involved yeah, at all. I mean, this is just you and your disk and, you know, 
the only corruption that's being taken into account is disk corruption, okay. possibly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, uh, in in these other like database solutions that are talking about, you know, bringing database to the blockchain or a blockchain specific database, um, they're talking more on like how to um, integrate a database into a blockchain with incentives or without incentives or how to do distribution and, and all that kind of stuff right yeah so they they will usually build on top of this technology so you use like this simple database to store data locally and then you build on top of it to like uh, distribute the data and reach consensus and replicate yeah cool well thanks for clearing that up yeah Okay. So yeah, well, this sounds like, uh, I think we covered a lot of ground, but question, what's coming up? What's, what's next? We have a release, a pretty big release, uh, 1.9 coming out, uh, in the next couple of days. I'm not exactly sure when it will go out. Uh, we'll try to put up a blog post on it. I think in general, something that we're trying to get better at is, uh, having regular re releases and. Uh, like actually writing a blog post for each. So the last one we didn't have a blog post on, not exactly exactly sure why. And it's been a really long time since we actually had a major release. So from 1.8 to 1.9, we have regular patch releases, just like fixing bugs or introducing critical things. But um, uh, I think we should um, like try to have bigger like the big releases more regularly so following more the rust um way of thinking about releases which is basically that you build stuff and if it like if your thing that you're working on is done before the release it's included and if it's not done it's it'll get included in the next release so you just kind of push back the things that don't get completed rather than like pushing back your whole release because you desperately need or want this feature in that particular release. Mm. So I think that's uh, something we, I know that's been our goal at some point in the past, but I, like 1.9 has been pushed a long time. So now it's finally coming out. Nice. Anything else coming up that we can think of? Mm. We're going to keep working hard and making stuff <laughs> decentralized. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> well, I think on that note, I definitely want to thank you guys. Yeah. Thanks, Andre. Thanks for the thank chat. You. Thanks for the chat. And yeah. uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>